Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. David McFadden, President of Manchester University, as our guest. Well, excellent. Well, hey, I'll tell you, I always like to start out with your journey, you know, your path. And, um, you know, who are the mentors that really helped shape you, um, uh, you know, on your journey to the presidency at Manchester University? Yeah. Um, uh, two people come to mind for me. One was the very first boss I had in higher education. Um, I came into higher ed uh, accidentally. I wasn't planning on a career in higher ed. I was in grad school, finishing a master's degree, uh, needed a job. And it was long enough ago that the job that I applied for and eventually got was posted on a bulletin board on a three by five card. And I worked for the academic dean at uh, then Claremont Graduate School, now Claremont Graduate University. Um, and my boss was a mathematician uh, named Jerry Spanier. And the fact that he was a mathematician um, plays a part in his mentorship. He was a very logical person, um, very intentional, systematic person in the way he approached his work. Um, and I saw it, I learned some of those lessons uh, from Jerry. Um, he saw potential in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself. And so um, a couple of years into my work there, I uh, started the enrollment management function at Claremont. That was my my real foray into uh, administrative work. It's how I got started in enrollment management. Um, and then the second person that I would name as a mentor was uh, my boss before I came, uh, before I became president at Manchester. This is uh, my 30th year at Manchester. And I worked here for 20 years uh, before becoming president. And um, Joe Young Switzer was her name. And she and I had worked together for 10 years before she became president and then worked closely together for 10 years during her presidency. Um, and she was someone whose uh, background was communications. And I learned a lot from her about how to tell a story, how to communicate well, how to listen effectively. Um, if, if Jerry was someone who was about math and stats and iterations and penultimate plans and all of those kind of things. Uh, Joe was about the softer skills of, of listening and communicating. So she was a, a real mentor for me as I uh, got ready to take her place as president at Manchester. Well, and, and um, you know, some of those, those key elements about listening and telling a story, uh, I, I, I would imagine those are very important when you, um, well, when it comes to successful uh, fundraising. Yeah. I'd imagine those are the elements. Can you expand on that? What makes a successful fundraiser? Yeah. Um, I remember vividly my first meeting as president with a donor couple. My wife and I, my wife Renee does a lot of that work with me. Uh, we were at lunch with a couple and um, the first question that he asked was, um, what can you tell me about the state of Christianity on Manchester's campus? Right. And I knew that he, his faith was really important to him. So I launched into a long answer about uh, campus ministries and all of this kind of stuff until my wife began to bump my leg under the table and I stopped. Uh, I think I had talked for 10 or maybe 15 minutes straight. And, um, and I said, uh, I said, Marv, does, does that get at the question you were asking? And he said, well, actually, 
I just really wanted to know if you still have chapel once a week. <laughs> so that experience taught me always with a question like that. Anytime it was a big question, I would always respond with, can you say more about why you ask, right? And uh, if I had, if in that case, I talked 80% of the time at lunch, uh, these days, I probably talk 20% of the time when I'm with uh, donors. I've learned to really um, ask about their journeys, ask about what they valued at Manchester. We don't spend a lot of time talking about the specific projects that I end up asking for support for. Uh, that ask eventually comes out of that organic conversation we've had about their time at Manchester, who was important to them, uh, what their journey has been after they graduated. Uh, so yeah, I, I learned to um, listen more and solicit, uh, elicit their stories, yeah. Well, and, and let's let's stay on that that course as far as value. Um, you know, I, I think today, maybe more than than any other time, um, the value of education, you know, the value of a degree, and, and maybe the value of faith based education is really being challenged. You know, I think part of that is based on, you know, the ability to get a you know a, a higher paying per hour job potentially, and and I would imagine also what feeds into that is. You know, the, the, the discussion, the news around student debt over a trillion dollars. And, and again, that's that's a broad brush. Right. Yeah. But but how how do you address that with students and parents? You know, what is the value? Yeah. One of the things that that I'm keenly aware of is that what we as an institution say is the value of, of a college degree doesn't align with what students and parents are looking for when they walk in the door, right? When they come as visitors to campus, uh, when they apply to Manchester, uh, it was it was uh, demonstrated to me really vividly when we did a, a survey, it's been about 15 years ago, but the results would be the same today, I think, a survey of prospective students asking them uh, which of these 15 things, are uh, values, uh, outcomes, are most important to you for your college education. And then we asked current students the same question, and we asked faculty and staff, what are the what are these 15 outcomes that are the most important about a higher uh, college education? And there was no overlap at all between what prospective students and what faculty and staff said, right? I mean, it was a disconnect like this. And our current students retained some of what they came in with and had begun clearly to understand some of what we said was important. So when, when we speak to students about the value of a, a Manchester education, we have a lot of first-generation students, a lot of Pell-eligible students, students from small uh, rural communities in Indiana. When we talk with them about a Manchester education, we start with those, those tangible outcomes that speak to why they are choosing to go to college, right? Um, and that work is done at Manchester by admissions counselors, by faculty, by tour guides, the people that they are in touch with during the recruiting process. Um, as president, I often will talk about those, those higher values, um, but in ways that are, are um, meaningful to them personally, right? So the, the pitch that some would say about higher ed is, um, if you if you uh, study the liberal arts, you have a different perspective on the world and and try and make those connections about how education broadens you. My my uh, stump speech is about 
uh, coming to Manchester, being yourself. You can be yourself here. Um, it's rooted in our mission statement, um, infinite wor- respecting the infinite worth of every individual, but then talking about how you come to Manchester and you become your best self, right? Uh, you learn from people who are different than you are. We don't have a, a particular set of values that you need to conform to, to be here, or a faith statement or any of those kind of things, but we're a place where values matter and you connect with people who have experienced the world and seen the world differently than you do, hoping to get that conversation toward you'll be uh, a different person. Uh, you'll be on your way to becoming your best self um, as part of your education here at Manchester. So it's a both and. Well, and, and uh, you know, talk to me about the, the advantages of being able to share your story. And I know several, you know, members of your family yeah. all went to Manchester as undergrads. Yeah. So being, being able to talk as an alum yeah. <laughs> about your experiences, how powerful is that? Yeah. Um, I'm a third generation grad. I met my wife here on the first day of freshman orientation. Our two children uh, came to Manchester and graduated. Um, with alumni, uh, with graduates, with donors, it's pretty powerful uh, because I and I and I've been here for 30 years working right since 93. So when I ask someone to tell me about a faculty member or a person on campus who was meaningful in their life here, often I know who that person was or or I know who they are and I can I can fill in the blanks. Right. Um, Someone will say, well, this this is the, the faculty member who got me headed to medical school. Um, and if I didn't have a class with them 40 years ago when I was a student here, uh, my father might have, or I know that person personally. So that's that's a really powerful way to connect. Um, once in a while, it comes uh, it comes in funny ways. I was uh, visiting a donor in Santa Monica. First time I'd, I'd met this woman, she was uh, an older person. She was about 75, and uh, I knocked on her front door. I'm standing here in my suit and tie, and she opens the door, and the first thing she says to me is, you have your uncle's eyes, right? <laughs> and, and at first, I was kind of taken aback. I realized she was the same age as my uncle who went to Manchester, but then I was really intrigued. I didn't I didn't pursue, like, why do you remember my uncle's eyes? What was, what was it between the two of you? Um, but that kind of thing is fun. And with students here and parents here, I can, I can testify to the value of a Manchester education, uh, the power of relationships that they'll find here. Um, and uh, I think for some, it gives me more credibility to be able to say, you know, we entrusted our children to Manchester. Um, and uh, it's for parents, it's, uh, it's a good place to send your kids. Well, let's talk a little bit about the relationships that that Manchester has with the business world and and making certain that students are are career ready and prepared for the working world, you know, especially in a working world where where um, students and workers oftentimes will change jobs multiple times. Yeah. Um, We have uh, our programs at Manchester are. Uh, both more traditional undergraduate. We have a campus in North Manchester, 6,000 people in North Manchester, 1,000 students on this campus. Um, Until 12 years ago, we were a traditional residential undergraduate campus. Um, We have a second campus in Fort Wayne, Indiana, about 40 miles away. 
and it's home to health sciences programs. It started with a doctor of pharmacy program. We've added nursing, physical therapy, um, and those sorts of things. So the, the two campuses uh, are different in how students uh, connect with uh, internships, uh, clinical placements, and those kind of things. So we've got some programs that uh, require that sort of experience, uh, education, social work. And we've been really good about finding opportunities for students in a variety of settings. So the student who comes to us from a small town in Indiana and says, I want to teach at, at an elementary school like the one I went to. Right? Sometimes they say, I want to teach at the one that I did go to. Um, but we help them have experiences in those places early enough that they can decide, yeah, that is what I want to do, or it's not. We often have students in education say, I wanted to be a teacher when I came because I had a really great elementary school teacher. And then I got in the classroom and I realized that wasn't for me. And so they might shift to a policy track in education, work to be an, uh, an advocate for children. Um, on, our, on the business side, we have a really strong accounting program, graduate a lot of CPAs, and those internships are important for them. They'll sometimes have two or three before they graduate and have a job lined up a year before they finish. Uh, those are important for them to get their, their uh, network started, uh, get their name out there. Um, we recognize that some of our academic programs are uh, net importers of students and some are net exporters of students. We have a really strong pre-med program. Um, lots of students come to Manchester wanting to be doctors or nurses. And by the time they've been here a year or two, they transition out into some other area. Our, our son came to Manchester, uh, wanted to be a doctor like his grandfather, ended up doing communication studies, right? So Tom is an importer of students, biochem is an exporter. And we just really try and help our students early on get a sense of what it is that work in that discipline would look like beyond what they've imagined it to be so that they can make uh, a good choice about how to finish, where to finish, uh, where they head after they graduate. In Fort Wayne, with health science programs, lots of clinical rotations there. Um, our pharmacy students, for example, their entire fourth year is clinical rotations. They do 10 one-month rotations and have options to do two more. And again, we try and give them both the required rotations that they need and opportunities to uh, uh, choose from elective rotations so they get a sense. In, in pharmacy, there are so many more careers uh, in the pharmacy field than I ever understood before we started the program. And a lot of our students come with retail or community pharmacy in mind and get a chance to try other things. So it's important to give them some range of experience, whether they're undergrads or grad students. Well, and, and uh, you know, throughout a student's journey, you know, how do you make sure, um, how do you make sure that they, they persist? You know, how do you make sure that when they come in as, as fresh and just take a traditional residential student, mm -hmm. when they come in as a freshman, you know, oftentimes I, I and I can just speak for me, yeah. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. You know, yeah. I thought I did, but I wasn't sure. And, and to your point, you're going to have students pivot based on, well, I thought I liked this, but I didn't. How do you make sure that they don't lose sight of that, of that end goal, whether it be degree, whether it be career or all the above? Yeah. Uh, the most effective thing we've done in the last three years 
is to stand up a program of what we call success advisors. It's not new. It's not uh, it's not rocket science. But we've got um, a dozen or fifteen staff at the university who, as part of their job, not the entirety of their job, but part of their job is to connect with students and to be able to check in with them on a regular basis, right? In some cases, that person becomes a confidant. Uh, it be, they become the person to whom a student goes if they don't quite know where to get an answer. In other cases, it's just a person that is in touch with students on a regular basis, every month, every six weeks. How are you doing? Are you ready for registration? Have you filed your FAFSA to kind of keep them going there? And what we've learned is that our students um, benefit from, rely on that support in different ways and to different extents. And uh, it has made a, a significant difference in retention. And it was really important uh, during the pandemic um, when the kind of informal interactions that we would have in the dining hall or um, uh, at clubs and organization meetings weren't happening because of the pandemic where people were pretty isolated. So uh, helping them navigate from start to finish is a, a primary role of the success advisors. Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about the Spartan Family Portal on your website? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the changes that I've seen over the years is uh, a much more significant role for parents. Um, there was a time when um, I think we would say that we we did our best to tell parents to butt out, right? And I, I think it was a generational thing. I think some of us, uh, I came to Manchester as a student in 1976, right? And the, the mindset then was, you're going away from home. You're going to be independent. Uh, you're not. You're going to uh, uh, choose when and where you connect with your family. Um, college was a place to go away and, and learn who you were. Our students today show up, and they've got all kinds of. Uh, many of them have all kinds of support systems. Their parents are very interested in uh, uh, what they're doing, uh, what uh, challenges they might be facing. Their parents are asking value questions that the students aren't. And they're making the choice together. Again, not rocket science. So we want to put information up on a, a family portal that our that our families, as a as a group, can find as they work together to make a decision uh, for their son or daughter to come to Manchester. Absolutely. Yeah. And to your point, I think we you know we've seen that generally speaking in talking to administrators and the work we do is you know parents you know, are generally speaking much more involved, especially post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so let me ask a question of you uh, yeah. on that score. What what have you seen, if anything, changes in what parents are looking for for their kids in college coming out of the pandemic? Has there been a Well, I think, yeah, I think, you know, one of the questions that does come up often uh, is that question around the value. Yeah, you know the the value of education that is front and center. You know, and we consistently hear that from administrators, um, and even when we do surveys of students yeah. on our platform, which um, in many instances also those answers are influenced by, by the parents because we know the parents are on our platform as well. So, yeah. you know, I think it's it, the the big question that comes up is is the value, but then you know secondarily, I, I also think it's 
what type of support will my will my son or daughter get when he or she is on campus? Yeah. You know, because I think the concern is, is my goodness, during the pandemic, you know, we were all isolated, you know, to to a specific extent. And so I think, you know, parents want to make sure, hey, my son or daughter, I want to make sure that they are in touch with the president, the faculty, other yeah. students and how engaged can they be? And what and what does that look like? You know, what do clubs look like? What are, you know, par- participatory events? How often does that happen? Yeah. And so I think, you know, it, you, you definitely have your your different, um, you know, students and parents that want different things. Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, obviously you've got your state schools, your flagship schools where you've got 20, 30,000 students. Well, that's a completely different experience than going to Manchester where, you know, students get to know each other. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, and, and the president, I don't want to speak for you, but I would imagine you probably have, you know, events where you go to lunch with students and yeah. maybe have a barbecue at your house. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm seeing, um, you know, a, a lot more questions around how how do I make sure that my son or daughter is engaged and really has his or her hand held to a certain extent yeah, yeah. to help them lead, lead them down a certain path. Yeah. So we you're describing a transition that we went through. Um, there was a there was a time when in higher ed, we talked about helicopter parents. Right. And then they became stealth fighter parents and all of these different kinds of things. And again, it was this sense of how do we, part of our question was, how do we keep parents from managing their son or daughter's life while they're in college? And then a number of years ago, just, just before the pandemic, we realized that our, our charge was really the opposite of that. And that is how do we provide that cocoon, that that's too strong a word, that, that network of support for students that don't have it, right? Um, and uh, it's not that it's bad that some students have helicopter parents. The issue for many is that they don't have anybody like that in their life and they don't know themselves. They don't walk in because they're first generation. They walk on the campus knowing right. how to navigate college. A, a really good example of that is uh, we just came out of spring break a couple of weeks ago and uh, we've got about a thousand students on our North Manchester campus. And we had about 160 of them who stayed on campus over spring break, right? Some were on campus because they were doing internships and needed to be here. But any number of them stayed on campus because they didn't have a place to go, right? They, they didn't have a home to go home to. They're, in some cases, their parents have, uh, have disowned them because of uh, choices that they've made um, or because of who they are, who they understand themselves to be, if it's around sexual orientation. Sometimes it's even the choice to go to college when parents didn't want them to go. Um, but they they need us to, to be a home for them, a family for them. And I think that's something that's uh, we've seen an increase in need over the last 10 years for sure. Absolutely. So um, how would you define student success? Uh, end of the day, bottom line is, do they get to graduation, right? Um, we, uh, we are really focused on getting students through from um, and, uh, uh, recruiting to graduation. We have a lot of work to do there, but that's the end goal. Um, another big part of it for us is um, helping them develop a set of skills that will, uh, will have them marketable, uh, where they can get first jobs, um, 
And to your point, uh, the a set of skills that transcend any uh, a specific discipline so that they can make a career change. Many of them do within two or three years of graduating, they're in a different field than they ever imagined themselves to be in. Um, the other thing that we talk about a lot at Manchester is uh, having our students graduate with a set of values that they own that uh, shape how they give back uh, to their communities, uh, how they contribute in the workplace. Uh, if you'll indulge the presidential stump speech, what I say to students all the time is, um, at Manchester, you can be yourself, right? I said that earlier, our mission statement starts with, we respect the infinite worth of every individual. I say to students, that means you can be yourself at Manchester. Um, and frankly, some of our students come from families or communities where they've not been able to be themselves, right? Um, and then the second uh, part of the mission statement is we want you to graduate with abilities and convictions, skills you need to have a a good career, a good first job, and convictions, the values that you hold that lead you to contribute in the workplace and the community. We don't tell you what to believe, but we encourage you to own what you believe by the end of your time here by connecting with people, interacting with people who see the world differently, right? So we had a student um, a number of years ago. I talked to uh, him uh, his spring of his, I mean, fall of his senior year. He was the quarterback on the football team, and I'd walked over to the dining hall uh, during uh, lunch on practice day and sat down with a group of students, just started a conversation. Um, and he said, when I came to Manchester, I was narrow-minded. And I was narrow-minded because my dad was narrow-minded, right? And during his time at Manchester, um, he chose to study abroad, went to Spain for a semester, learned Spanish, became fluent, uh, came back. He was an education major and began working with Hispanic students in the North Manchester community. Again, small town, largely invisible Hispanic community. He said, I didn't even know we had um, uh, Hispanic families in North Manchester, right? So he ends up studying TESOL, teaching English as a second language, and works in the school systems teaching kids whose first language isn't English, right? He would not he would not even have known that that need exists, that opportunity exists, had he not had the experiences that he had here. Yeah, he's a great teacher, but he also was exposed to the world in a way that led him to choose to give back uh, in, a, in a capacity that he's really passionate about. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a story. I mean, what, yeah. you know, talk, talk about a story for, for, uh, for, you know, potential uh, donors. That's yeah, it right there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, so does, does the enrollment cliff, has that impacted Manchester at all? Yeah. Um, a, a different cliff than the one that we've been looking, uh, anticipating in 2025, 2026, we're lucky in Indiana that uh, the number of high school graduates in the state isn't expected to fall off a cliff in 25 or 26. What we've seen though, uh, from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic is a cliff of college participation rates, right? Five years ago in Indiana, 65% of high school graduates went to college right out of high school. Last year, it was just a tick over 50%. So from 65 to 50% over a matter of five years. Uh, part of that was um, uh, the, the number of students who said, 
I don't want to go to college if it's not the experience I've been looking forward to, right? Our first year uh, in the pandemic, our, our student athletes competed in front of uh, empty bleachers, right? Our football team had its most of its schedule pushed from fall to spring. Um, our, our clubs and organizations essentially shut down in-person meetings. So they said, college isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm not going to go. Or their families needed them at home. They needed to uh, have a second or third income in the family and so forth. So a lot fewer students went to college. The other thing that we saw that we experienced was in a couple of those years, a real, uh, a dramatic decline in retention. Um, students who came and uh, struggled academically um, because they weren't used to learning remotely. Um, they chose a small school because they were going to have in-person education. We were teaching a lot of classes remotely. Um, students who came and really struggled with mental health issues, uh, which were uh, prevalent across society, but really hit our students hard. So those two things together, uh, for a lot of schools in Indiana, and Manchester included, really um, uh, led us to take uh, experience and enrollment hit. So in many ways, the cliff that we've been anticipating hit us five years earlier than expected. Well, and, and as you alluded to earlier, I mean, Manchester is going through a lot of exciting, you know, changes. Yeah. And I know part of that is is a $20 million healthcare expansion. Uh, yep. There's a $45 million camp, capital campaign that I believe is going on right now. Yep. Can, can you speak to that? Because I, I, mean, I think that is, it, it's, it's nice to see the progress and the growth where a number of other institutions are, are struggling to, to get by with what they have. Yeah. Uh, we've been really fortunate. Um, at the same time that a lot of our peers said the pandemic is something to hunker down and get through, um, we said we need to keep pushing, right? Um, there, there's a, uh, I talk a lot about opportunities and challenges. I like to focus first on opportunities. So for us, opportunities include recognizing that our undergraduate students come to a place like Manchester for the experiences that they can have outside the classroom as much as what they uh, do in the classroom, right? So in the midst of the pandemic, we started a marching band, right? One of the first things we funded with our campaign was a new athletic stadium. We've got 40% of our uh, students participate in athletics. We're division three. It's really important for them to have uh, good facilities uh, to compete in. Um, so we were making investments in those areas during the pandemic. Uh, we're, we're also making investments in the health sciences. You you mentioned the fact that we're putting $20 million into our Fort Wayne campus to build out uh, teaching, research, and uh, lab space for nursing, physical therapy, and new programs that come along. Uh, we've launched a couple of cutting-edge programs in health sciences in the last six or seven years. One is the first master's in pharmacogenomics in the country. Uh, it's a program that studies the intersection of drugs and genetics, and we're about to launch a master's program in nutrigenomics, the intersection of nutrition and genetics, right? So um, these are programs that uh, you might think about starting in good years, and we've been able to get those up and running and, and really thriving in the midst of some really challenging years. Um, I, I'll be honest that one of the things that we've done also during this time is make some really hard choices about what we can afford to do and not. 
Um, and as a consequence, our uh, undergraduate faculty um, is smaller than it was six years ago, seven years ago. Uh, we've made some tough choices about programs that we uh, will offer or not offer. Uh, in the midst of adding new undergraduate majors like digital media arts, we've discontinued our undergraduate major in French, for example. Um, and so we've been really intentional about working both sides of that equation. What, what can't we continue to do given student interest, student enrollment, um, and what, what can we do that will draw in emerging opportunities in the marketplace? Well, and I imagine too, as the president, I mean, you, you have to make those tough decisions because, you know, I, I imagine that, that enrollment is, is something on the top of your mind, but also balancing enrollment with on the financial side, you know, return on investment at the end of the day, which leads to those tough, yeah. tough conversations and decisions. Yeah. I, I was at a conference for presidents a number of years ago and uh, a president on a panel said, um, one of the things that we talk about all the time is we can't spend more than we make, right? And there, there was an audible ripple of laughter and uh, groans in the audience. And the audience was all other college presidents, right? And, and a couple of people, a couple of us turned to each other and said, that is the least understood thing on our campuses, that we can't spend more than we make, right? Um, and if you do, it's a recipe for disaster, um, but deciding uh, what you are going to spend your limited resources on is always the challenge that we have to work through. Absolutely. So now, where do you see Manchester in five years? Um, uh, when I think about the undergraduate side, I think, again, this, this idea of investing in the experiences that students look for in a small institution, right? Um, the kind of athletic uh, activities, our student uh, and, and co-curricular activities that they are looking for. I'll give you a really concrete example. Um, in the last seven years, our student body has become much more diverse. We were uh, under 10% students of color before the pandemic. Today, we're at about 25%. And so our music program, um, one of the things we've added, we are adding on the music side is a gospel choir right? Our, our choral groups are very traditional today, um, and we know that they don't appeal to all of our students, so we're adding a gospel choir to, to uh, meet the interests of some of our newer students uh, coming to Manchester. Um, so we'll continue to invest in the kind of programs that students come to a small school to look for. Um, uh, we, we have in our strategic plan, one of the themes that we're working on is offering a distinctively Manchester education, right? And what that means for us is that what our students experience is infused by Manchester's values, which include things like service, right? Uh, it's, not, it's not unique to Manchester. Lots of schools have service as one of their values, but we wanna make sure that it's reflected in the experiences that our students have. And so on the health professions side, um, we're, we're training good clinicians, people who are going to be competent nurses, physical therapists, pharmacists. But at the end of the day, we want them to say part of my part of my responsibility, part of my work is making the world a better place, making the community that I'm part of a better place, understanding that the, the, the 
clients that are that I serve are also my neighbors. The patients that I see are people that are part of my community. Um, and so we work really hard to to infuse those programs with that spirit uh, so that our students understand when they come to Manchester, this is the kind of experience that I'm going to have that will distinguish a Manchester degree from an experience from something I would get someplace else. Absolutely. Yeah. And you took the words right out of my mouth as far as, you know, just that distinctive institution and what you offer and how it really separates from others. Because, you know, I, I think that's a question that I think a lot of institutions grapple with, and you'd know better than I would, but, you know, why, why us, you know, mm -hmm. put in the, why ABC University? How do we make ourselves different, especially in a very, uh, you know, many would consider a saturated market? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I think some schools, um, it, it's easy for us to compare ourselves to a Purdue or IU and say we're different by virtue of scale, right? But we can also say we're different by virtue of experience and interaction with people. When we sit down and compare ourselves with other small colleges that are the same size, the campuses look the same, and say, how do we differ from these four schools that are within an hour of Manchester? We can differentiate ourselves based on programs. Sometimes uh, when institutions look for distinctive programs, they, they go out and say, we're going to start something that we can brand and doesn't look like something that anyone else has. Um, I've always thought the problem with that is that that idea can be picked up by somebody else uh, pretty quickly, right? right? And be copied. And so you really have to understand um, what your mission is. Uh, your why, right? We, uh, we've we been changing a lot at Manchester over the last 15 years. We went from college to university a decade ago. We added a second campus, graduate programs, professional programs. I say all the time, our why hasn't changed. Our mission looks a lot like it did 50 years ago when I came as a student. Um, but what we teach, where we teach it, how we teach it, to whom we teach it, what we teach, those are all changing but they need to have that common thread of mission uh, connecting them. So students come and say, yeah, this is, this is the kind of experience I want to have so that our donors can say, yeah, the building that I lived in isn't there anymore, but the people in the new building care about their students the way that people that I knew cared about me. So. Now, do you remember the, the building and the first conversation you had with your wife or soon to be wife? Yeah, yeah, we were, um, uh, I'll, I'll make this short. We both had a shared growing up experience of living in Indonesia. Um, I lived in Indonesia when I was in elementary school. Um, my dad was a medical missionary. Um, her dad uh, was a, a seminary professor and campus pastor in Indonesia also. And she lived in Indonesia during her junior high and high school years, right? So we didn't know each other then, but we had this shared experience of having uh, lived overseas. And that's what connected us when we, uh, when we first met. We were in the same small group um, during student orientation. Um, that was a Sunday. By the time student orientation finished two, years, uh, two days later, we were inseparable. Um, I like to tell that story to new students during uh, when they arrive at freshman orientation, right? And and I always get, you know, this, oh, that's sweet, right? <laughs> then I proceed to tell everybody, well, we met in August, and by January, we were engaged. 
by the next November, we were married, right? We were 19 when we got married. And all of the parents have this look of utter horror on their faces. <laughs> I can't hear what they're saying, but they're all going like, you're not going to do that. Um, but yeah, my, my office is in the library at Manchester. And um, my wife and I uh, spent a good bit of time that first three days sitting on the back steps of this very library talking. Uh, so, yeah. Well, that's that's got to be fun, you know, to be able to come to come to campus and walk by those steps or even walk up those steps. What great memories. That's right. Yep, absolutely. Well, excellent. Well, Dave McFadden, hey, thank you so much for this time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm pleased to join you and be a part of this conversation. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.